Turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Job, chapter number 2. Job, chapter number 2. You ought to be able to find that. If you can find the book of Psalms and take a left turn, you'll find the book of Job. Amen. And uh, hasn't the Lord been good to us today? Been good to me. And uh, I tell you, I have no complaints. He's been precious to me. He's been as good to me this day in my life that <laughs> as any, any day I can remember. Amen. And uh, he's a precious God, and I'm so excited to be here with you tonight. Thank you to our visitors being here, man. What a blessing, and um, I hope that you enjoy being in the Lord's house. We get a lot of people come see us once, amen, and uh, so but I, I hope you'll, you'll keep coming. It's a blessing to have you here. Job chapter number 2, if you're a student of the Bible, you may know a little bit about kind of what's going on here in the book of Job. Job is a book of suffering. It's written by this man by the name of of Job. I, I heard a preacher say the other day that he had avoided reading the book of Job for years because he thought it was the job description. Amen. He didn't want to be held accountable, but uh, the book of Job, Job is the man's name. The Bible tells the story of this man's remarkable, incredible, astounding suffering and the providence that was behind it, the purpose that was behind it, and the God that loved him that was behind all of it and what God did through it. But I want you to notice the role of a specific individual in Job's life, his wife tonight, here in Job chapter number 2. And I want to preach a little thought that God laid on my heart about this passage. Job chapter number 2, let's begin reading in verse number 1. Now the devil has already killed his sons and his cows and probably killed his dog too. It don't say it, but it probably happened. And The Bible says in verse number 1, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, you can almost hear his forked tongue when he says this, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. And I, listen, I'm glad to know even when we fall into other people's hands, we're never out of God's control, aren't you? The Bible says Satan went forth, verse 7, from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he, Job, took him a potsherd, meaning a piece of broken pottery, to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. We'll stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Lord, you've been so good to us. I want to praise you publicly for how good you've been in my life. You're a precious God. And I... I say it a lot, but I don't say it near enough, and I could never say it enough how good that you have been and daily are to me. And I want to thank you, Lord, publicly for all these people. I want to say every good thing I've got, I owe to you. Lord, it's been your grace and your goodness in my life that's made the difference. Lord, I pray that as we take these next few moments and turn our attention, our focus, set our hearts upon the truth of your word, that we would meet it with the reverence that it deserves. Lord, that we'd not just merely see it, as a tome of perspective or or uh, introspection, but, Lord, as the very authoritative Word of God, that, Lord, you may take the words of God and you may apply them in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that we'd be humble enough to let you do a work in us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you have done and will do. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I approach Job chapter number 2, there's sort of three things that are set as a stark relief against the background of this passage. They almost frame what's going on in this passage. I would say, number one, we cannot help but notice the pain of Job's suffering. This is a man that has lost everything that there is to lose in his life. 
I mean, this is a man who has buried ten of his children. This is a man who has lost all of his wealth, all of his position, all of his prominence, all of his power. And it's interesting, you know, the Bible tells us in verse 8 we find him, he's sitting, scraping the, the putrefaction and the infection off of his body through the brokenness of his health, sitting in an ash pile. What a picture that is of Job in his suffering. I mean, just what is left after the fire, that's all that he has. What is left after the destruction, that's all that he has. I would venture to say this, man, you have maybe suffered in life. And uh, I've not suffered like a lot of people have. I don't pretend to. Uh, but probably none of us have suffered to the degree that Job has suffered. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what it's like to bury a child. Well, do you know what it's like to bury ten? Do you know what it's like to do it in one day? <laughs> Until we've walked that road and experienced what Job has experienced, I think God has set him as a metric, as a standard, as a control in life so that no man might be able to say, God has never handled suffering like I'm going through. Hey, if God could handle the suffering in Job's life, then God can handle the suffering in your life. I would say that the pain of Job's suffering features largely in this passage. and Satan has come back for a second helping. He has approached the Lord. He's already destroyed Job's family and destroyed his children, destroyed his prosperity, destroyed all these things. And I hate to even say the devil's done that. The devil has done that. But did you notice God's answer in verse number 3? He said, Thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. One of the precious things about the book of Job, one of the things I like the most, is Job never gives the devil credit for what's going on in his life. He always says, hey, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil at the hand of the Lord? And uh, while certainly Satan does endeavor to destroy us, there's nothing naive or infantile about that notion. The Bible teaches that the thief cometh uh, for to, uh, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Hey, listen, Christ warned Peter in Luke chapter 21, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Uh, we shouldn't make light of satanic attacks, but I will say it is a mark of spiritual maturity when we can uh, start to learn to see God's hand around every corner instead of seeing the devil's horns around on every corner. I've known people in my life, man, everything go wrong. The devil's after me. Uh, you know, maybe they missed a lot of blessings because they were looking for the devil's horns instead of God's hand. Maybe they missed a lot of what God was doing in their life because uh, they were saying, well, the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. I'm not saying he wasn't delighted in it. I'm just saying God is good enough at being God that he can allow the devil uh, to cackle and, and chortle and, and snicker and still get his divine providential will done in a man's life. And Satan is, he is, he is trying to destroy Job and he has come back and, and he has stricken his health. He's asked for his body. He's asked for his health. And that's interesting to me. He, he asked for everything around Job, but now he's asking for Job himself. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, you cannot kill him, but I will allow you to destroy his health. And I would say the second thing I notice in this passage, uh, firstly, I notice the pain of Job's suffering, but I cannot help but notice the plan of Job's sovereign. Job had a sovereign God that was watching over everything. There is not a single moment of the book of Job that's outside of God's control. I'm talking about the oppression of his friends against him. God permitted that. Talking about the destruction of his wealth. God permitted that. Talking about the destruction of his health. God permitted that. Talking about Job's confusion at the matter, and Job was confused at the matter. If you ever get discouraged because you can't figure out, God, just read the book of Job. You're in good company. God permitted that. Every bit of everything that happens in the book of Job, God permitted. And one of the great marks of wisdom in Job's life is that he seeks to understand God through it and to see God in it. And you know, Job, it's amazing. Boy, I don't, I want to be careful. I might, I might slip up and say something profound here in a second. Uh, not profane, profound. Don't get nervous. Uh, but it's amazing. Job was never more near a heavenly perspective than when he was trusting God to have a purpose in it all. Job got closer to understanding the truth behind his suffering when he simply assumed and depended and relied upon the fact that God, being a loving, gracious, perfect God, must have a reason behind all of it. 
when he said, I don't understand it, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He got nearer the mark of understanding his situation when he trusted God in the midst of his suffering. Now, I will say oftentimes we get farther from the mark when we foolishly charge God than when we faithfully trust God in the midst of our trial. So we cannot help but notice that God's in control over every bit of this. And in fact, that is not just a a, a byproduct of, of this story. That's really the whole purpose of it, is to remind us that oftentimes in the midst of our suffering, we may not see it, but God knows what He's doing. God has a plan and God's perfecting His people. And so Job chapter 2, it's marked by the pain of Job's suffering and the plan of Job's sovereign. Then we come to verse number 9. And we find that there's a third thing that marks this passage that stands out as a feature. And that is the proclamation of Job's spouse. Job's wife speaks to him. And this is what she said, verse number 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. That's a remarkable statement to make. Now, I do think that it's low-hanging fruit to beat up on this poor woman. And I'm in no mood to try to do that tonight. (laughs) Just talk about how awful and terrible and wicked Job's wife was. Since you brought it up, let me say a few things about how wicked, terrible, and awful Job's wife is. No, you know what's amazing to me about his wife's statement? It's how much it sounds like what Satan himself says. Did you notice that? Let me read to you verse number 4 and 5 again. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. And here's what Satan said. My prediction is he will see that the wisest course of things is to curse you to your face. Job never got to that place, but his wife seemed to get there. Because Satan says he, he will he will look at you and he will curse thee to thy face. And when I read Job's wife's statement, the biggest problem with it is it sounds a lot like the same lies that Satan is spinning. And I think about her role and her function in Job's life. I would make three passing comments before we get into the message tonight. Let me say number one, just so you understand what I mean and what I'm about to say tonight. I don't believe that she was aligned with Satan in her cause. You see, Satan wanted to destroy Job, but I don't think his wife wanted that. I don't think she's saying this because she hates him. I don't think she's saying this because she despises him. I don't think she's saying this because she is in league with Satan, because she has somehow been wooed to the side of darkness and iniquity and nefarious business and behavior. I don't think that Satan pulled her in a back room and said, listen, we need to destroy Job, and I want you to make a league with me, and I want you to covenant with me, and we're going to destroy Job. Hey, it's scary to me to think that she could do his bidding and not have his goal in mind. I don't believe she is aligned with Satan in her cause. I don't believe that's what she is trying to do. I don't believe that is her desire is to discourage and destroy her husband. I have no reason to believe that, even though I I, I think that it is naive to try to whitewash what she says and make it seem spiritual. I also see no biblical reason or precedent or foundation to believe that it was malicious. It was foolish, but we have no reason to think it was malicious. So I don't think she was aligned with Satan in her cause. Let me make a second statement. I don't think she was animated by Satan in her criticism. So what do you mean, preacher? I don't think she's possessed of the devil. I don't think that Satan has taken control of her body and and her voice and is causing her to speak these things to Job. In other words, it might be tempting to say, well, if she sounds like like Satan, it must be because Satan is uh, is controlling her and Satan is running her. But I don't see any reason in my Bible to believe that. And in fact, I can think of a hundred reasons somebody might say what she said and it not be the devil making them do it like Flip Wilson might suggest. So I don't, I don't, I don't think she wasn't animated. But here's what's amazing to me: she wasn't aligned with Satan in her cause. She wasn't animated by Satan in her criticism. But she did agree with him in her comment. And it makes me think about the things that I say to people when they're struggling. 
when they're having a hard time. When they come and pour out their heart and say, Preacher, I don't know what to do. Everything's fell to pieces. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what's going to change. I don't know what can happen. It makes me think about my counsel, my advice that I give to them and wonder just whose work am I doing relative to what I'm saying to them. I wonder, and I would venture a guess, that you probably have people come to you sometimes when they're struggling. And they want somebody to pray for them. They know you're a Christian. They know you go to church. They know you know God. And they've, they they come to you and they want some counsel. They see your life ain't a mess. They want to figure out how you did that. And they're, uh, they're wanting some counsel. They're wanting some encouragement. Sometimes we live in a society where, I mean, complaining is just an it's a national sport. And sometimes people just come, they just want to complain to you. And they want to uh, unburden themselves to you and unladen themselves to you. And I wonder if if we, in those moments... Are we allowing ourselves to be the mouthpiece of the Lord or the mouthpiece of Satan? I want to preach to you for, I mean, just a few quick heartbeats tonight on being the mouthpiece of Satan. I look at this woman's statement. And again, it is not a hard statement to imagine a person making. I believe that this statement is rooted in a faith of sorts, at least a faith in certain truths and realities about the character of God, She, I think, believed, and rightly so, that if Job had cursed God, Job would have died. Now you say, well, preacher, are you saying God's that cruel? No, I think God's that merciful. I think God kept Job alive because he stood as a as a beacon, as an example of the faithfulness of God in the life of his people. I don't believe that Job, had it just been himself, I mean, that's the reason that even the Lord himself says, Thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. It does not mean that God didn't have a purpose in what he was allowing to happen to Job, but it meant it wasn't Job's fault. He wasn't chastening Job. He wasn't punishing Job. What was he doing? He was perfecting Job. He was polishing Job's life so that uh, people like you and people like me, when we're in the uh, depths of despair, would have somewhere to go to see that God cares about those that are suffering. But for Job himself, God didn't desire for him to go through this. God just understood. Hey, let me say it this way. God knew the juice was worth the squeeze in Job's life. But now, what would have happened if Job had turned his back on God? He would no longer fit that criteria. And he would have no longer served that function. And you say, well, preacher, God restored some things to Job's life. And God did. And God blessed Job. But I will say this. Hey, those sons and daughters that God gave him later, they didn't take away the grief of the ones that he lost earlier. And a lot of the things that he went through, I mean, undoubtedly, hey, the end of that man was greater than the beginning. Uh, But he no doubt bore some scars through his life. And I will tell you this. However good the end of Job is, heaven is better. And if he had cursed God, God, not because he hated Job, but because he loved Job and knew that Job would have no longer served that function and purpose, would have taken him out of his suffering and out of his misery. You see, this statement, even though Job, Job rebukes her for this, as he should, that was his place, it wasn't just his right, it was his responsibility to do so. And Job makes some comments about how her frame of mind is. But I'll just tell you, I'm not as spiritual as Job. I can understand why she said what she said. In fact, I want you to notice three things. Notice number one tonight. Just think with me for a moment. Consider her motive. Now, we have no reason to believe that she hated Job. We have no reason to believe she is bitter Towards Job, she might have been bitter. She'd buried ten of her children. She might have had questions. She might have not understood. She might have been angry at God. But we have no reason to believe that she was bitter towards Job. Uh, We have no reason to believe that she thought any of this was associated with Job. You and I have the first two chapters of Genesis, or I'm sorry, uh, the book of Job, uh, but they didn't. So uh, undoubtedly, she didn't understand everything that's transpiring and going on. And there's no reason to believe that she hated Job. There's no reason to believe she was spiteful against Job. In fact, I would say this. There's two things about her motive that we could say. Number one, I think her motive came from a hurting place. I think it hurt her to see him hurt. You love your spouse the way you ought to. You ain't going to want to hurt them. You're going to hurt when they hurt. And for no other reason, just because they'll make life miserable till they feel better. Somebody say amen, but... No, I mean, I mean, really, it'll hurt you for them to hurt. And I mean, this woman bore ten of Job's children and raised them to adulthood. 
she had been, you couldn't ask, at least if you judge things by the way uh, that, that, that uh, you know, Job's family seemed to be. And I know there's probably some things we could say negative about Job's kids. But, uh, you know, we, we look at the way that Job was in parenting them as a father and making intercession for them and seeking to provide them a godly example. No reason to believe he would have married a woman that wouldn't have done the same. And I think it would maybe be reasonable to say that we're not talking about some uh, mean, heart, uh, hate-filled and, 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 and heartbroken wicked woman who's spiteful and hateful. We're probably talking about one of the great matriarchs of human history. Why would she say that? Well, I think she said it probably because it hurt her to see her husband hurt. Why didn't she say it earlier? Well, because up until this moment, his health had not failed. And so they were in this thing together. It's one of the hardest things about somebody you love going through a physical trial is you can, you can be there with them in it, but you can't really go through it with them because you're not going through what they're going through. They, they had held each other and wept over those ten graves. And she could say, honey, I know what you're going through. They had stood there over the ashes of their livestock and of their empire of wealth. And she could hold him by the arm and say, honey, we're going to get through it. As long as I've got you, we're enough. But now he's sitting there covered head to toe in boils. And she can't say, I know what you're going through. And she can't alleviate his pain. And she can't even accompany him in his suffering. And I think it just hurt her to see him hurt. You see, I think Job's wife believed 100% if he cursed God, he would die. And I don't think she is mocking him. I think she is saying, why are you holding out? And why are you hurting the way that you're hurting? You know, I've, I've said things when I have been hurting, but I have also, I will be honest with you, I have sometimes said things when I have seen other people hurt that were not healthy for them. If you're not careful, you will make a person's comfort more important than their consecration. You will make their health more important than their holiness. You will make their success more important than their spirituality. And in this moment, I think that she is she's just hurting and she just don't want him to hurt anymore. And yet imagine... What a tragedy the book of Job and the life of Job would have been if he had taken her counsel. Uh, Part of the reason our society is on fire, (laughs) looking for a real eloquent way to say it, but that's pretty good, I think, burning down or currently around us, is because we have a society wherein evil and nefarious people have co-opted feelings and compassion and used them as a cudgel in the club against uh, society to subjugate it. And, you know, the, the, well, I mean, it's a hard world, son, that we're living in. And they know that if you have a heart at all, they can use that to squeeze every drop of blood out of you that they can get out of you. And, you know, uh, part of the reason is because oftentimes people can do irrational things out of a desire to alleviate someone else's hurting. Sometimes alleviating their pain is not always what's best. And in Job's wife's situation, You say, well, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this, she meant well. And you can mean well and do bad. You can you can sincerely when somebody comes to you in brokenness and they're crying and they're uh, they're complaining to you and they're pouring out their heart to you. Sometimes it is hard truths they need to hear. And you can say something to them that makes them feel better about their choices. Or you can say something to them that's going to help them to make better choices. And have a better lie. I think it came from a place of hurting. But then I would say number two. It came from a helping place. So what do you mean preacher? Well I think she's trying to help him. I think she thought his life would be better. If he would take this course. And there ain't. I remember one time hearing somebody like motorcycles. Work on motorcycles. He made this statement. He said no no motorcycle is so broken. That a little fixing can't make it worse. If you've owned one. You know what that means. You say the same thing about boats. Amen. No, no, no motor so broken that a little fixing can't make it worse. And uh, we sometimes in society, we don't necessarily want to do it ourselves. We want some agent of the government to do it, but we want things fixed. Somebody better fix this. Somebody better get in here and fix this problem. I mean, politicians make a whole career out of saying they're going to fix things. We're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And, you know, oftentimes you can in your life what would have happened if somebody had fixed all of the prodigal's problems? Vance Habner used to say, 
If the prodigal son had ran away in our day, somebody would have given him a, a, a bed and a sandwich and he would have never gone home. And sometimes in life, in an endeavor to help people, you can cut out from underneath it the legs of the working of God. Sometimes, man, you got to let God do things in people's life. You can't. You can go in and you can try to grease the tracks and you can try to pave the way and you can try to fix it. And you can try to do better, but oftentimes you just got to leave people in the hands of God. And she comes along and you say, "Well, preacher, what are you getting at?" I'm saying this: motives are not enough. Motives matter. God's going to judge your motives one day. God's going to judge my motives one day. But motives are not enough. There have been a great many people that have destroyed nations with good motives. Destroyed lives with good motives. And can I say this? You can have the best motives in the world and Satan still use you to discourage, derail, and destroy another person. That's why you need to be so careful and make sure you're walking in the wisdom of the Word of God. You say, but preacher, I love them. That may not be enough. But preacher, I care about them. That's probably not enough. You think the pagans don't care? They care. They're just in spiritual darkness. They don't have light. They don't have truth. They care. It's not that you're so proprietarily better that you just, you care better than everybody else. They care too. But you can care all day long and you can mean well all day long. And that will not change a person's life. She gives this advice, this counsel. And I think she meant it well. I do. I think she loved her husband. I do. I think she wanted to help. I do. I think she was hurting because he was hurting. I do. But her motive did not matter. Say, why didn't it matter, preacher? Well, her motive didn't matter because consider her message. She says this, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. She had two solutions to Job's suffering. I want you to notice them with me. The first is this, she counsels him to compromise his standards. That's amazing the way that it's said. And in fact, it's, it's not even just Job's language or, or his wife's language, it's God's language in fact. Because when you go a little uh, further back, verse 3, God says that Job still holdeth fast his integrity. Now what does that mean in the context of this passage? Well, we could say it this way. What this means is Job refuses to get angry at God. He refuses to give up on God. He refuses to turn his back on God. I don't think Job, actually, if you want, and I'm probably not in the mainstream on this. I'm not in the mainstream on much. <laughs> but I don't think Job is perfectly spotless and sinless throughout the book of Job. I think there's places that he probably veers into the neighborhood of pride and things like that. I, and I mean, that, that to me is not even a, a really a, a radical statement. But the one thing Job never did throughout the book of Job is he never foolishly charged God and he never turned his back on the Lord. No matter what he didn't understand, no matter what he couldn't figure out, no matter what did not fit within the framework of his theology, he just kept saying, I know that he loves me. I know he can find me. I know he's working in me. I don't understand it and I don't pretend to do so. I'm not saying I deserve it, but I'm not saying I don't deserve it. I'm just saying he's a merciful God that if he should, if he should mark iniquities, who should stand? He's a precious God and I know that he loves me. Over and over again, he relies upon that. What's that? What's he doing? He's retaining his integrity. He's saying, I'm not going to give up, though all hell come against me. I'm not going to give up. Well, what does she say? She says, Job, is it really worth it? Is it really worth everything you're going through? I, I mean, I love God and everything, Job, but is he really worth all this? Job says, absolutely, he's worth all this. I will tell you this, if you ever find yourself giving advice to someone, telling them they just need to ease up, they just need to loosen, they just need to lower them standards, they just need to take that easy path, chances are you ain't speaking on God's side. God help me to never be the person saying, if, if it's too hard on you, well just go the world's way a little bit and it'll get a little easier. 
<laughs> it's always funny. You see this a lot. I mean, I do anyways I, as a preacher. I, I'll see preachers that will, will, will go, you know, go liberal sometimes and go apostate sometimes, different things. And they all act like it's a real brave thing to do when they do it. They all talk about, well, this is going to upset a lot of people, but I just can't help it. I've got to, you know, I just, I, my, my eyes have been opened and I've got to go this direction. I just, it's going to make everybody. It don't make nobody on Facebook mad. They're all liberals anyway. My soul, you're gonna, you're gonna be flooded with people that's gonna clap for you when you do that. Oh, he's so brave. Look at him. Like, it ain't, you really think you're gonna catch a lot of flack for that? No, you got a bunch of people that they also want to compromise and they're gonna be tickled to death. See, there's somebody else willing to do it as well. But they always act like, you know, it's the bravest thing in the world and God's opened their eyes and everything else and they're so enlightened and they're so transcendent. I'll tell you this, though, you will always find a crowd that will applaud you in your compromise. Though you will always find a crowd that will sympathize you in the lowering of your standards. Though you will always find a crowd that will say, why are you so hard-nosed? Why are you so narrow-minded? Why are you so strict? Why are you so hard about these things? Can I tell you this? They ain't speaking on God's behalf. That's not the message of God. What was it Satan was trying to get him to do? He was trying to get him to give up his integrity. That was his goal. Well, what was his wife saying? His wife was saying, why are you doing this? God ain't worth this. God don't expect this, Job. Why don't you just go ahead and curse him and die? I will say that in my life, I hope it can never be said, I called preacher Toby and he just led me right into sin. Just told me not to worry about it. Go ahead and live and do as I want. Don't worry about what the Word of God says. Don't worry about what God thinks. And I will tell you that there is, oh my soul, we live in a world that is hooked on cheap dopamine hits. Where the the high of being somebody's friend and and enabler and, and, and affirmation in their life comes cheaply. And we live in a time where you will always find people that will tell you, how you, can, you can, son, you can be burning your life to the ground and there will be somebody stand over there and roast you a marshmallow over top of it and clap you on the back and say, what a good person you are, how brave you are, how courageous you are, how noble you are. But don't listen to that crowd because they'll destroy your life. I see in this passage, she, she wanted him to compromise his standards. Number two, she wanted him to curse his God. Curse God and die. Why'd she say that? How could we say it in, in, in maybe a little more practical? I mean, not, she's speaking practically. She's saying, she's telling him literally to curse God. She's saying, curse him, charge him, call him mean, tell him, tell him you hate him, tell him, tell him he doesn't love you, tell him it's his fault, tell him all these, tell him, tell him you're done with him. And, and Job, when you do that, he's gonna kill you. But here's what she was saying effectively. She was saying, won't you just quit on God? Why are you doing this? Why are you letting God do this to you, Job? God's not just hurting you. He's hurting me. He's hurting. He's breaking my heart. And, you know, uh, some, uh, listen, ladies, don't, my soul, don't ever make your husband choose between you and God. Amen. Don't ever make your husband choose between you and God. Don't, don't ever put him in that position where you, now honey, this, this thing about living for the Lord, you know, it's hurting me. It's breaking my heart. Listen, I'm, I'm not up here to beat nobody over the head, but I'll just remind you, you'll answer to God one day. You'll answer to God one day. Just like us husbands will answer to God for how we've led our home. And the same way that if we allow that to be an excuse, and if we say, well, Lord, now I'm sorry, but i I got to keep my wife happy, we'll answer to God one day for it. But she looks at him, listen, Job, why are you putting all of us through this? Just quit on God. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. You know, it never looks like that in most people's lives. It doesn't. Usually it don't... Hmm, I'm going to say this. I believe the Lord wants me to. I, it normally don't look like saying quit on God. Most of the time it looks like quit on church. I'm just being honest with you. I, I, you didn't come for, a, for an academic perspective tonight, did you? You came for a little bread. I'll give you a little bread tonight. Most of the time in, t- in today's day, it, what it looks like is not curse God and die. You know, you, you, the, the only thing that happened to you if you said that, I don't know, teenagers would make shirts with your face on it and they'd think it was cool. But if you said that counseling advice to someone, people look at you like you're crazy. You know what I mean? They'd curse God and die. What are you, walk straight out of a, a movie or something? But how it normally looks is, well, listen, if it's, if it's too hard to make it to church, just don't worry about it. 
When I listen, I mean, if you couldn't take that job and be in church, just don't worry about it. you got to feed your family after all. Well, hey, listen, if, if, if your wife's going to be mad at you for getting up and wanting to go to church on Sundays, why, you got to keep her happy. God wants you to have a happy marriage. That's what it looks like. And all of it is saying the same thing. All of it is saying God's not worth it. Your personal life is the priority. Give it the preeminence. And what matters is your comfort, not your consecration. It can be said in a thousand ways, but it's all really fundamentally saying the same thing. It's all saying, curse God and die. Don't choose the hard path. Don't choose the narrow path. Don't choose the difficult path. Do what comes easy to you. After all, isn't that the simple thing to do? And what she's saying is, hey, listen, just go ahead and quit on God. If he's going to do you this way, Job, why would you serve him? Just go ahead and quit on God. I see her motive in this passage. I consider her message. Finally, I want you to see what Job replies. Verse number 10. And I want you to consider her mistakes. I want to tell you why she's wrong. And Job does a good job of telling her why she's wrong. Verse number 10. I could say a lot more about that, but I'll just leave it right there. Verse 10 says, But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Now, whether you like that or not, how he answered her, whether that fits with your criteria or not, whether that meets with, with your delicate sensibilities or not, The Holy Ghost says, in all this, did not Job sin with his lips? Evidently, he was right in the way that he answered her. And when we read this passage, like a great many passages, it'd be easy to read this as just sort of an offhanded, harsh comment. He's putting her in her place, right? He's straightening her out. But I don't believe that's how Job would have seen it. I mean, a man sitting in an ash pile don't have nothing to prove to nobody. She's all he's got left. I mean, her and God, that's it. And they don't get along. <laughs> uh, she's not trying to run, or, 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 he's not trying to run her off. He, he's not mad at her. But in her, in, in his statement, here's what he does. He points out three problems with her perspective. And can I tell you this? When people come along in your life and they encourage you to not live for God, to not walk with God, to not be serious about God, when they come along make all the excuses for why you don't really have to be faithful church, don't really have to read your Bible, don't really have to live your Bible, things like that. Here's the problem. Here's three things that they miss. Notice number one, he points to the fact that she had disregarded God's witness. I'm interested in the first thing he says to her. He says, thou speakest. As one of the foolish women speaking. Now, I'll tell you, when we read it, this is how we kind of hear it. You speak as a foolish woman. Well, now that's certainly true that he is saying she behaves and acts as a foolish woman. But the way he says it, he doesn't even say, thou speakest as a foolish woman speaking. He says, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaking. Like there's a foolish women's club in town. And he's heard these women down at the Walmart talking. And he's saying, you know, you sound like they sound, honey. He says it like she should know what that means. It's interesting. You look at that word foolish, the word Nabal. Later on in the Bible, there will be a man by that name, Nabal, that, uh, that David will come across. And listen to what Nabal, same word, foolish. Listen to what his wife says, Abigail, says about Nabal. First Samuel 25, 25 says, Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. As his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. See, she calls Nabal a, a man of Belial. Now, what does that mean? Well, Belial uh, being a false god, what it's saying is a, a man of low character, a man that doesn't know God, an infidel, a pagan. Somebody that don't know there's a God and doesn't know God personally. You see, here's what he's saying in Job chapter number 2 verse 10. When he says, thou speaketh as one of the foolish women speaketh, what he's saying is, I've been down and I've heard the infidels talk. That's how they talk about God. When, When trouble and trial and heartache comes into their life, 
They think God is fickle and they think He's foolish and they think He's petty and they think He's small. So when things are going their way, they're rejoicing. But when things are not going their way, they're cursing their gods and they're throwing their gods away. He's saying, you're talking like somebody that don't know God at all when you say that. You know, here's the reality. She had been raised, or at least during her married life, had seen God work in her family had seen God work in the life of her husband. I think there's every reason to believe that they were part of the lineage of human beings through whom God had preserved a witness all the way from from Seth even to this point in human history of people that called upon the name of the Lord and and knew the Lord. And I think that's the reason that Job knew to sacrifice for his kids and pray for his kids is he knows the Lord. He had probably been raised to know that. This is a woman who knows who God is. But the problem is now she's talking like the crowd that don't know God. You know the problem with that crowd that says, when it's hard to serve God, just quit? Is that's how the world is. That's the way people that don't know God feel about God. You see, people that know God, that have tasted and seen that the Lord's good, that have seen Him work in their life, ought to have enough about Him to understand that you're not always going to understand it. And to know that even when you can't figure Him, you can still have faith in Him. And even when you can't understand, you can still trust. And what He's saying, He's not being mean, He's not being unkind. He's saying, honey, you know better than this. You know God. You know He loves us. You know He blessed us with those ten children. You know He blessed us with all that wealth. You know He's watched over us in this wild land and kept us safe and provided for us. Why would you think just because things have got tough that God has abandoned us? That's what the infidels think. That's what the pagans think. But we know God better than that. We've tasted and seen He's good. We've learned of Him. And we know that's not how He treats His people. The problem is we have a lot of people we have a lot of people giving Christian advice with a worldly perspective. It has the trappings of Christianity. They talk about Christ and, 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 and the Bible and being blessed, whatever that means to them. But it's not rooted in biblical truth. The problem with her, first mistake was she had disregarded God's witness. Let me say number two. Not only did she disregard God's witness, she disregarded God's will. She says, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And Job's answer is, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? She says, Why are you letting God do this to you? And Job's answer is, Well, honey, what else would I do? It's interesting, the usage of that word, what? I mean, we just blow past it like it ain't there, but it is. The Holy Ghost put it there. What does it mean when he says, what? What? He's saying, she says, curse God and die and do what? And what would you do? And what what, what would our servants do? And what about the plan of God? And what about what God's trying to do? It's almost like he's saying, I could quit on God, but then what would I do? Then what would I do? And the problem with her perspective, she says, why are you letting God do this? Why don't you just curse God and die? Is he says, well, honey, the reason I don't do that is I don't believe it's the will of God for me to do that. I believe God has a plan in this. I believe God has a purpose in this. I believe God knows what he's doing in this. I would tell you this, you say, well, you know, well, preacher, I mean, you know, people just trying to help and they just hate to see me going through a hard time. Yeah, they care more about your comfort than they do what God's trying to do. Don't listen to people that prioritize your friendship above God's plan. I'm going to say it again. Don't, don't, don't listen to people that prioritize your friendship above God's plan. Don't prioritize people that, appro- that, that, that value your approval above God's approval. Don't listen to them. They're not good counselors. They'll lead you wrong. They'll lead you astray. What should matter to you, the people you ought to surround yourself with, ought to be people that says, hey, listen, you do the will of God, even if I don't like it, even if nobody likes it. If you please the Lord, that's enough. And what she should have said to him is, honey, my heart is breaking. I say, I hate to see you hurting. If I could take it away, I would. But if this is what God wants, God knows best. She should have been bolstering him in his faith instead of buffeting him in it. 
She should have been trying to strengthen it instead of trying to weaken it. And I know she meant well. I do. I don't doubt that one bit. That's what terrifies me. Is I could mean well and still be the one Satan is using to speak weakness into somebody's life and mind. I could be the person that weakens their resolve. I could be the person that gives them an out. I could be the person that'll meet, that they'll meet with my approval even when they're doing wrong and living wrong. And Satan could use me to destroy someone else. She disregarded God's will and finally, and I'll be done. I want you to notice this last and it's almost kind of one and the same, but if I bust it up, I get to preach longer. So sometimes I do that. (laughs) He says, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Here's the problem with what she says. Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. The problem was, number one, that's how the heathens talk, that don't believe there's a God that loves them and cares about them. Number two, the problem is it disregarded God's will. It said, it's my decision. I can do what I want. I don't have to do what God tells me to do. I can go my own way. I, if I'm tired of it, I'll just curse Him and die. And I can take my, my life into my control. I'm the master. I'm the governor of my life. I can run my life. That's wrong. That's incorrect. If you believe that, I don't know how you call yourself a Bible believer. If you believe that you have more authority in your life than God does, I don't know how you could call yourself a Bible believer. I don't know how you could believe the Bible and believe that somehow you're better at being God than God is. But then I would say finally the problem with it is it disregarded God's wisdom. Job says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Now the word evil is interesting. It's like a host of words in the Word of God that can have two different definitions or sometimes even more than that relative to the context. Context is king in your Bible. greatest way you can understand your Bible is read it in context. And uh, I've never found trouble understanding the meaning of a word if I just look at it in context. And so the word evil, it can mean something that is morally unrighteous. That's how we think of something like an evil person, you know what I mean. Uh, Or it can just mean something that's unpleasant. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes would talk about old age and he'd say it's a time when the evil days come. Now, I mean, listen, praise God. I mean, I I hope your evil days don't come when you're old. I mean, most of y'all ain't got enough energy really to get in too much trouble, but... Well, listen, that's what terrifies me about modern medicine. They're going to get you all jacked up on Red Bulls and I won't be able to keep you all under control anymore. And, uh, but when Solomon talks about the evil days coming, what he's saying is hard time, when hard days come. Here's what Job says. He says, should we only serve him when he does good? Should we only trust him when it's easy? Should we only trust him when it don't cost us nothing? What kind, of, what kind of faith do we have if that's the criteria? What does any of it mean if all we're willing to do is just when the ride is easy, we're willing for God to take us places? Well, ain't nothing more than just, just metaphysical hitchhikers, spiritual hitchhikers. We're just willing to go along when God will carry us the direction He wants us to go. But the moment that He wants to carry us anywhere else, son, we bail out. We're done. And you know, that's how a great many people are. And that's what He's rebuking. He's saying... You weren't wanting to curse him when he was giving you ten children. You, you, you didn't want to curse him when the, when the, when the sheep were, were lambing and when the, when the cattle were growing and, and when the crops were, were, were being raised. You didn't want to curse him then. We received all that good at his hand and we trusted it was for the best. I've known people in life that the worst thing ever happened to them was bounty and plenty. God trusted Job. God gave him what we would call good in his life because it was good for his life. Then there came a point where it was better for his life to have bad in his life than to have good in his life. See, the difference is Job's wife had learned to accept the things from God's hand because they were good. But Job had learned to accept them because they were God's. His wife was willing to say, well, when he's good to us, I'm happy for... But Job, for him, it was never about it being good. It was always about the fact that God had given it. And in your life, here's the thing you need to keep in perspective. I want what God gives me, even if it's, even if it's unpleasant, even if it's hard, even if I don't understand it. Because at the end of the day, I mean, listen, after all, is it really faith to rejoice in God when He gives us what we want? I mean, is that even faith? 
Is that even really real Christianity if the only time we'll rejoice when we get what we want? I mean, that's like a petulant child that loves their parents when they get what they want and, and whips on them and beats on them and bites at them when they don't. You wouldn't call that child well-behaved. You'd call them spoiled. You'd say, well, you've got to give them what they want if they're going to love you. You'd say, that's dysfunctional. That's inappropriate. That's not maturity. But why would that be any different in your spiritual life or mine? And that's the problem with what she's saying. She's saying, now that God's not giving me what I want, I'm, I'm done with him. Job says, that's how the pagans talk, honey. Why are you talking that way? And thank God he didn't listen to what she had to say about it. I, I, listen, thank the Lord. I, I've been saved a lot of trouble in my life because of the things that my wife... Uh, the, I've learned it, sometimes it's expedient to listen. Y'all don't even know what to do with what I'm saying right now. Y'all are confused. You know, some of y'all want to laugh, but you're scared to. Some of y'all think it's a joke, and some of y'all don't. And I'm eating it up, man. I love it. <laughs> but I, I, but let me say, in this instance, I'm sure thankfully didn't. I'm thankfully led his home. I'm thankfully led his home. I'm thankfully was the spiritual leader in his home. And instead of saying, you know, well, honey, I guess you're probably right, he led his home. And he said, honey, I love you, but you're wrong. That's not how we do God, because that's not how God does us. And he reminded her that the good that they had from God was only good because it was from God. And that the things that God does in their life... You say, do you think he really believes that? Well, here's what he says later on in the book of Job. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job said, this thing of, this thing of trusting God may put me in an early grave. But he says, I'd rather go to my grave trusting him. I'd rather go to my grave trusting him than to curse him and die and turn my back on him. I'm, I, I'm saying this. God help us to always be the mouthpiece of the Lord and to never find ourselves in agreement with the devil. To always be sure that in our lives we are only listening to the people that push us closer to God and that we are only being the person that pushes others closer to God. And that we allow God in those moments in our life. Maybe you're here tonight where Job was. Maybe not in the exact circumstances, but in the throes of trials. And can I say, if you're there, don't give up on him. Don't quit on him. Don't walk away from him. Trust him. He's a precious God. He loves you. He loves you more than you love you. He loves you more than that person telling you to quit loves you. So don't give up on him tonight. And put your trust in him. Let's bow together. Musicians going to come play. And I want to give you an opportunity. If God spoke to your heart, would you meet him in the altar? I know I'm not going to ask a hundred questions, but if you're here tonight, God dealt with you about something. Why don't you come to the altar and just speak to him about it? Preacher, I wouldn't even know how. Sure you do. Just just talk to him. I mean, you know, be be respectful, of course, but just talk to him like you'd talk to anybody. Just come down and say, Lord, you, you, you're dealing with me about this, and I, I want your help. I need your help. If he's dealt with you about some sin in your life, something you've done, come down and say, Lord, I, you've, you've showed me this is sin. I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me of it. It was wrong. Cleanse me of it. Something in your life you're struggling with. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. Come down and say, Lord, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need you to show me. I need you to direct me. And in whatever fashion, whatever manner he's dealt with you, won't you respond to him this evening? Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.